Um, I want to, this morning, I want to share with you what I've been thinking about over the last few months, uh, really the, the uncommon, I'll call it the uncommon virtue of humility. And God began to put this on my heart over the last few months with the church splitting, and I began to learn how most church conflicts are the result of pride, which we know is the opposite of humility. And, uh, you know, it's the this, it's this sin that, that, that drove Satan out of heaven. It's the sin that drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And it's the sin that God seems to hate the most. And so the opposite of that, of course, being humility. Uh, but until I really began uh, doing this study, I thought, that, I thought that humility was really about me, something I could do, and how I could work and make myself uh, humble before God. And as I've studied this, there are some things that um, I feel like I've learned that I, I think have been very beneficial to me and, and uh, that I'd like to be able to share with you um, this morning. Luke, let's see. Okay. So, I, so I'll work all the mechanics. We'll, we'll see how, how this goes. So... A couple of things uh, that I was also very surprised about is that humility seems to be the key to wisdom and love and, and fear of the Lord, as well as all the, all the fruits uh, of the Spirit. And if we look at Isaiah 66, 12, these are God's words, and, and look at the, the depth and the power of this. Uh, thus says Yahweh, Heaven is my throne, and earth is a footstool of my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hands made all these things, that all these things come into being, declares Yahweh, but to this one I will look. So God tells us who he is, and then he says, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's who gets God's attention with respect to who, who God is. So wh- what I hope to show you t- today from God's word is that humbling ourselves is our response to the circumstances God puts in our lives to prepare us to be used for our good and to reflect his glory. Humility is received, not achieved. We humans are not the drivers of our own humility. Our God designs the humbling way in which he forges the virtue of humility in our lives. He takes the initiative. He acts first. Our humility happens on his terms. He, he sees. He knows. He moves with sovereign, sovereign omnipotent, meticulous care. And it is not only in sin. Christ was sinless. And yet, he humbled himself as as God. Finally, I hope to show you an illustration of this process with Joseph and uh, how God humbled Joseph and the result of humility bringing exaltation, exaltation as the Proverbs and God's Word showed us. So I always thought of Joseph as... Uh, an example of integrity when he, when he left Potiphar's wife and he ran out of the house. And I also thought of Joseph in another way where he's, he, he says, you meant it for my bad, but God meant it for my good. And that is truth. But there was a lot more that I was missing from, from Joseph's character in the story of Joseph. So to understand humility, let's look at, his op- at its opposite for a moment and uh, my question to you is, you know, what do you think? When you think of humility, what does it mean to you? And as I've just said, but what if I told you that humility was beyond your grasp and that you cannot re- achieve it on your own, that like faith, it had to be initiated by God? So God doesn't help those that help themselves, as we've probably all been heard, but God helps those who humble themselves by acknowledging he is Lord and obeying him as servant. So God hates pride, and pride 
is the lack of the fear of God. Is thinking too highly of, of ourselves? Terry mentioned that when he spoke on 1 Peter, and we'll talk just a little bit about that. And not being sober-minded. So it's, it's, it's thinking more of ourselves than we are thinking of God. And, and, and God hates that. We, we know that. So God's word is really clear about pride. And we can look at some of those verses here in Proverbs 3.34. God gives grace to the humble, but God is hostile in opposition to the proud. He talks in Jeremiah, Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in the cities, and it will devour all that is around him. That should put the fear of God in our hearts. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And there's lots of wisdom in Proverbs. These are just very few. As you begin to search the scriptures, you will see that it is filled with messages of humility. And, you know, one of the things when I thought about this, about sharing about humility, it's like it makes you feel a little, a little odd, a little weird that you're going to talk about humility, an, un, an un, humble person. But when you begin to look at it as it really is being obedient to God, that's what yeah, humility. We'll talk about a specific definition in a minute. But let's um, examples of examples of pride. One that we're maybe most familiar with, maybe, is in Exodus five two, when Moses tells Pharaoh, Yahweh says, "Let my people go." To which he replies, "I don't know Yahweh." And then finally, in Exodus ten ten two and three, just before the eighth plague. Through Moses, God, God tells Pharaoh again, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Look at all the circumstances that God put in front of Pharaoh trying to humble him. Pharaoh didn't, Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't perform any of those miracles that God did. God, God performed all those miracles and used those things to humble Pharaoh and to try and bring him into obedience. In, uh, in Proverbs 3.34, God, op- God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We talk a lot about grace uh, in, uh, in, in our church, and of course, in a Reformed theology, um, and that grace comes from really from being humble, from submitting to God. He yearns in, in, in James, uh, in the book of James uh, 4, Several verses, five, six, seven, and ten. God speaks, He yearns jealous He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And again in First Peter five six, we've heard this before. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're given these these commands uh, through God's word of examples of why not to be prideful. So let's look at this definition. This, This, from what I can come across, this is really what I found to probably be the most precise definition of Christian humility. Christian humility is when our heart is at peace with the infinite superiority of Christ over me and I am willing to submit to the sovereign God in all things, acknowledging and obeying the one who is truly God. It is our response to the the divine initiative and sanctification. So we talk about a lot about the sovereignty of God. We, we all discuss and talk about that. And all of these things that God puts before us, and we'll specifically see that in the example of Joseph, but God is using that in our sanctification process to cause us to humble ourselves before him so that we can receive the grace that he has for us.
the, we know that the, the reward, God also rewards, rewards this humility. The reward for humility is the fear of the Lord, riches and honor and life. Proverbs 22.4, and maybe more importantly is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we talk about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is something we all desire. You can't buy wisdom. You can't borrow wisdom. You can't get wisdom anywhere. It only comes from God and that wisdom only comes or it begins with the fear of the Lord. And in order to gain this fear of the Lord, there must be humility. And Proverbs uh, gives us a deeper look into the biblical meaning of humility as we're given a direct explanation. Humility is the fear of the Lord provides a very precise definition. Not only does being humble consist of trusting God and following his will, but furthermore, fearing the consequences of neglecting his commands for truth, love, work ethic, mercy, and beyond. Humility is recognizing the magnificent power of God and the potential retribution he will condemn upon us if we do not aim our purposes toward righteousness. We think about, obviously, God is a graceful, merciful, loving God, but but God's character doesn't change. And we'll look more into the Old Testament and how God dealt with those who were prideful and were not humble. So what do you think, what do you think when you hear humble yourself? You know, when I thought about that, I thought humble myself, that means something that I'm going to do. But humbling ourselves is being obedient to God, is taking the circumstances that he puts in our life, turning to him, and allowing him to really be the sovereign God that we say he is. We all, we all use those words. I use those words. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Well, if God's really sovereign, then that means every single thing that he's put before us are his doing. So humility is both an effect and a command, as we just talked about. And both James and 1 Peter passages that we talked about ahead of this, James 4 and in 1 Peter 5, calling for self-humbling, come in response to trials, trials within the church. So um, this self-humbling is not something we initiate, but something we receive. These invitations to humble ourselves come from us first being humble. For Christians, self-humbling is mainly responsive. We don't initiate humility, and we don't get credit for it. Self-humbling is, in essence, gladly receiving God's person, words, and acts when doing so is not easy or comfortable for us. How would you respond to, to humbling circumstances? And we think about the church. You know, I've just talked about early on. We talk about the, the split of the church. We think about that. God ordained all that. Whether we like it or not, the way it came, God, if God's sovereign, then he allowed that. And if God is for our good, then he allowed that for our good. And it doesn't seem good to us. It doesn't seem good to me or you. But God's got a different purpose in it. So this humbling within the body, as we've experienced in James 4, 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Conflict among those claiming the name of Christ humbles the church. In verses 7 and 8, James admonishes them, Submit yourselves to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So, you know, one of the things of that is there are circumstances of humbling within, okay? So the humbling within the body, we, just, we looked at that. I just gave you those verses in James 
about the quarrels and things that went on in the church. And that, was, that, was, that happened uh, in the church. And God used those circumstances to humble those as part of the church. And we're reminded about that. If we go to, into Second uh, Chronicles, we, lo- we look at, again, within. What, what happened in, uh, with, with, uh, in those days, Hezekiah became sick. He was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him, Judah, and Jerusalem. But what happened... If you look at that, what happened? Hezekiah humbled himself. He acknowledged the divine God, and God basically changed things. He, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So there's an example of in, inside, you know, from ourselves internally. Now, from outside, in the First Peter 5.5, 5, the church is facing insults and maligning. The church is facing insults and maligning and tempted to be anxious. Peter exhorts them, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And we see that in other verses. In Colossians, put on humility. Have a humble mind in First Peter. Seek righteousness. Seek humility in Zephaniah. So when there are circumstances from outside of us, those are still humbling experiences that God is, is giving to us to cause us to humble ourselves before him. This self-humbling is not something we initiate, but something we receive. These invitations to humble ourselves come from us first being humble. So how do you respond to humbling circumstances when they come before you? That's those are the things. For Christians, self-humbling is responsive. We don't initiate humility. We don't get credit for it. Um, it's gladly receiving God's person, words, and acts when doing so is not easy or comfortable. I mentioned that earlier. Humbling ourselves is a response to the circumstances that God initiates. We find ourselves humbled, whether through God's word or becoming newly aware of some pattern of sin in us or some way we have not measured up, or some circumstances or events in life that lay us low, what might it mean to humble ourselves? So some examples of God's sovereignty uh, in their responses. The first one was here is in 2 Kings 22.11. King Josiah, he, he humbled himself when he became aware that they were violating God's laws and directives. If you remember, the, the, the book was brought to him and it was un- discovered. And, and, and what happened is they were, they were not following God's laws. King uh, uh, Josiah humbled himself and God responded. You, we see in verses 18 and 19, because you humbled yourself. God, God does, not, does not show his wrath to them because they humbled themselves. Um, a second example as King, King Rehoboam uh, in Second Chronicles 12.1. King Rehoboam humbled, God humbled him through King Shishak of Egypt who marched and took Judah by siege. King Rehoboam along with the princes of Israel humbled themselves. They said the Lord is righteous and God's response comes in Second Chronicles 12.12 when he humbled himself the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to make a complete destruction. Another example of, of, of what God did when they humbled themselves. And finally, the third example isn't, so, isn't such a good, um, good thing that happened. It was King Belshazzar. And if you remember what happened is his father, who was King Nebuchadnezzar, was very, very much humbled by the Lord and actually turned into an animal. And there were seven periods that he was going to have to do that. Daniel interpreted the dream. You may remember that. So his son, King Belshazzar, he made a great feast. He celebrated. And he took, he took um, the silver and the gold 
uh, out of out of the the uh, the temple, and he and they began to worship those gods, and. The main thing is he didn't remember what happened to his father. So, but in verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Sounds like his father. Sounds like what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Until he knew that the Lord Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. God, God is sovereign. He is in charge. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. He knew that. But you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see, hear, or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. That very night, Belshazzar was killed. So God, God's action, in, in we talked earlier in one of the verses that I shared with you, that God is very wrathful with the proud, very wrathful with the proud, and he gives grace to those that are humble. So learning, learning from God's humbling um, of others is vital for each of us. And so as we read God's word and we see these things in God's word, remember that God's character hasn't changed. Christ came to save us, his grace and his mercy, but God's character hasn't changed. God still hates sin. He still hates pride. And he is still going to exalt the humble. Um, I encourage you to read that, both, both uh, Daniel, Daniel 4 and in Daniel 5. Um, in Daniel 4, verse 37, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. You will see that. And when Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, basically things change for him. You can see the, the circumstances. Um, in this is humility, not that we have humbled ourselves, but that God in his mercy took action to humble us first. In all those examples, you see that God, God used those things to, to humble them. So what is our part? What is our part uh, uh, in humility? And uh, humility is not a product of self-help. We know from John, in John 3:22 through 30, he tells us, "He must increase, but I must decrease." That, that's kind of an all-compassing verse to think about is, is, is that, that God must increase. So in, in, in how, how does that happen? Both in our hearing and our seek to understand. So in hearing, regarding the words you have heard, in, in 2 Chronicles 34, 26, and 27, the hearing of God's word is our part. Because the words you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, declares the Lord. So when we hear God's word and we recognize it is God's word because the Holy Spirit lives in us, that's how we're able to humble ourselves because we can hear that if we have the Holy Spirit in us. And then seeking to understand. In Daniel 10, 12, uh, Daniel's told, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So the this, this seeking, seeking to understand God, that's, that's our part, is to seek Seek God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, this is Romans 12, 3. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we know that faith is a gift. And you see how faith is tied into humility and fear of the Lord and wisdom. And you'll see uh, through this in, in the reading that love, tri- loving someone is basically our, our humbleness, thinking more of them than thinking of, thinking of us, ourselves. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. That's Proverbs 15.33. So one of the, the, the things that, that was probably one of the most encouraging things to me is in studying this is the example of the character of Joseph. And Joseph had to forgive his brothers before any repentance by his brothers. And even though he was the one, Joseph, that was treated unfairly. Now, Joseph did bring about some of those things on himself, we would think. He, he was prideful. He had this multicolored coat. He boasted it to his brothers. And in addition to that, he, he told. He told on his brothers. He went to... to, to uh, to tend sheep with them. He was a shepherd, and he came back and he gave a bad report to, to his father, if you remember that. And God used, and we're, we're going to talk a lot about that, God used those circumstances to humble Joseph. I normally don't think of him that way, and, and many of you already know that Joseph is also thought of as a type of Christ. You look at all the things that occurred with him uh, in his life, and... Uh, So Joseph's response to God's humbling was forgiveness, was total forgiveness. God used the experiences in Joseph's life to teach him how to forgive. He had to forgive. And he had to forgive long before he ever saw the faces of his brothers again. So when I thought about Joseph, I already mentioned this, that two things came to mind to me. Integrity, Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. So he, was, he was obedient, and, and God was graceful to him. Potiphar put him in charge of his household very, very soon after, after he was sold. You remember the story? He was, his brothers threw him in a pit. He was, per, he was bought by the Ishmaelites. He was then sold to Potiphar. And, uh, and then later, Joseph, as, as he's finally humbled, he realizes that God meant this for his good. So well, that's one of the tests for us. Do we really believe that these things, circumstances, difficult things, is, is God meaning them for our good? Well, if, we, if our perspective is, is that God is using this to humble us, and we recognize that if we are humbled, we will have fear of the Lord, we'll have wisdom, we'll have grace, those are the things that we, if we look at it from that perspective, we'll have a better, um, I think, time of, of, of submitting to God. Um, so the, the story here the, that I see is really total forgiveness through humility. So we, 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 ought, we know the story uh, of Joseph. Uh, we talked about that. Joseph was prideful with his multicolored coat, reporting to his father on his brothers, and now sharing the dreams with his brothers that they had and the fam- that the family would bow down to him. As we look back, it could only have been God who gave Joseph those dreams, right? I mean, Joseph didn't make those dreams up on his own. Joseph was anything but humble, and God allowed Joseph's brothers to deal with him ruthlessly. God's wrath through his brothers, and they never expected to see Joseph again. If you, you read in, in uh, Genesis 37 uh, that, that story, and, I, and I'd encourage you, if you get a chance, to read through um, from Genesis 37 through the end when you can. It will, it will give you a better flavor um, of, of all the things 
that happened here. There's some details that I missed until I began to really look through this. So Joseph goes, um, now Joseph goes through a variety, variety of God-ordained trials to teach him about who God was, and Joseph submitted to God. Finally, Joseph submits to God, and in Genesis verse 39.9, Joseph says to himself, or says to the king, how can I, or excuse me, to Potiphar's wife after that occurrence, how can I sin against God? Right? He recognized that any sin, even though he, sinned, he would have sinned against Potiphar's wife, he would have sinned against his master, but his real sin was against God. Same as David, you remember that? David sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against, you know, a number of, of, of people, but his true sin was against God. So, God, but God allowed him to go to prison for something he didn't do, right? Uh, Joseph didn't, didn't uh, have relations with Potiphar's wife, but he got thrown into prison. That was one of the circumstances that God used to begin this process of humbling Joseph. And if you remember, he, when he was in prison, he interpreted a dream, right? And what happened was, after he interpreted that dream, he wasn't ready to be humbled. Why, why do we know? Why do we know God had to leave him there two more years? Why? Because he asked the cupbearer to remember him. He wasn't putting it all in God's hands. He wanted help. And um, so God delays it. In, in Genesis uh, 40, verses 14 and 15, Joseph isn't ready. He's there for two more years after that. And finally, when we get to Genesis 41, 16, Joseph is finally humbled. It is not in me, but God. It's what he tells the king when he interprets the dream. So if we look through all of the, the circumstances that God, that God ordained, God ordained all those circumstances in Joseph's life, just like he does in our life. And finally, when he got to the point of being totally humbled, what did God do? He exalted him. He became prime minister of Egypt. Now notice that Joseph doesn't gloat or brag over this new position. He has humbled himself and what did he do? He didn't do anything but receive God's circumstance and his gift of this humility that God used as, as he began to respond to God the way he should have. Um, what has God prepared for him? What, what, how, why did God humble him? What, what is God trying to do in this? Was you know I began to think about this. And what God was preparing Joseph to do is to forgive his brothers and to teach us about what we need to do if we really do forgive. I think, for me, I have this idea, had this idea of forgiveness just means, you know, I, I think I, I say, oh, well, I forgive them. And, and sometimes maybe it's when I don't think about it anymore, but when I really know about when I've forgiven is when I, don't want to, when I don't need to talk about it anymore. But that really should have been my very first step. And let's, let's see what Joseph does and the example we can see through God and what he did to teach us about forgiveness. So Joseph has submitted to God's humbling. He is no longer bitter against his brothers. And he now forgives gives them in his heart. So what did God require him to do? What, what, did God, what did God do to teach him? Oops. So first of all, um, so first of all, in, in, in forgiveness, do not let anyone know what someone said or did to you. Yeah, unless it's a crime, then obviously you're going to report it. But when we tell people some, what somebody did to us, why are we telling them that? We're telling them that because we want to take our own vengeance. That's the honest truth. 
isn't it? What did Joseph do? In verse 45-1, Joseph didn't want anyone in Egypt to know what his brothers had done to him 22 years before. Think of that time period, taking all that long a time period. They would have been hated by all of Egypt. Joseph was a powerful man, and he was very, very well-liked. And when, his, and, and when his brothers came, if he had said all those things and accused them, or even before that, if he had told them all what, what his brothers had done, they would have hated him. And look at what would have happened in the rest of the story, potentially. So then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he called out, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Second thing is, don't intimidate them or cause them to fear you. Sometimes we want to do that. We, if we haven't forgiven, we, we want them to think, well, they have something on me, you know, and they're, they're, they're not, they don't like me, or they're, you know, they, they're worried about what, what, how, what are you going to say to them? What are you going to do? Who are you going to tell? Don't intimidate them or cause fear. That's what God is teaching Joseph in this. And Joseph, through his humbling, Joseph has responded now that he's humbled. He revealed his identity with tears and compassion. In, in Genesis 45, 2, then he wept loudly and the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. So Joseph didn't go on a rant. He, had, he broke down in tears. He had compassion. He didn't, he didn't try and intimidate them. Three, we will want them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. And all these things are really tough things for us to face as we think about forgiving but we will want them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. Joseph acknowledged what they had done, but he told them, don't be distressed. In verse 40, in 45, 4 through 5, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. So now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you, have, you, you sold me here, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you, okay? See how at that point in time when he was humbled, he, he knew the sovereignty of God had placed him where he was, and God had preserved his life. So his brothers really, you know, one of the things to think about, his brothers had no control over him anymore. He, he, when he got to that point and he realized that they didn't have any control, God was, God was totally in control. He was sovereign. And that's why he was able to do that, because he got to that point. We will let them save face, right? This is, this is not an easy one. So what did Joseph tell them, tell them? So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive for a great remnant of survivors. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God and he has set me as a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Genesis 45, 7 and 8. So he didn't criticize them. He didn't give them, he didn't want to make them submit or to confess or to repent. He let them save face. He, he told them the truth, that God really was the one that was in charge of all this. Five, if we forgive, we will protect them from their greatest fear. And, and in, in the Joseph's brothers' case, what was their greatest fear? Their greatest fear was what was going to happen to them from their father, right? And so what does Joseph do? He tells them what to say to the father. They don't lie to him. But he tells them exactly what to say. He says, he says, hurry and go up, to, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has sent me as Lord of all Egypt. 
Come down to me, do not delay, and you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for, for there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have be impoverished. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. So you must tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. So Joseph tells them what to say. And the impact that that had on the father was way different than telling the father all the things that, that, that they had done to Joseph. Think of the impact that that would have been and how that would have changed the relationship between the brothers and the father. He would, have, he would have felt very, very differently about his other sons than he, than he would have had this occurred. The, the, the other part of this is there may not be reconciliation, there may not be repentance, but this forgiveness has to be a lifelong commitment for us. And you look at what happened with Joseph. How, do, how, do we, how is that taught to us there in this? 17 years after reconnecting with his brother, Jacob dies. And his brothers made up a story. They still, they were concerned. They thought if Joseph dies, excuse me, if, when our father dies, when Jacob dies, Joseph's going to come after us. Because our father is the only thing that's in between us and them. But what does Joseph do? Joseph extends kindness and assured them, I forgave you then and I forgive you now. That, that's the most Christ-like we know is when we forgive. That's probably the most Christ-like thing we can do in character and reflection of, of Christ that we can do. Joseph's brother saw their father was dead. We see this in, as the Genesis ends in, in 50, 15 through 21, just before it ends. Um, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and, and returns us back, to, back with us with evil, which we dealt against him? So they sent a message to Joseph. They made this up. Your father commanded. They tell him that, they tell him that their father has told them to be kind to him, told, told them to tell Joseph these things. And uh, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and wept. And they spoke to him. And he said, Behold, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to do what has happened on this day to keep many people alive. So now do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke to their heart. So Joseph, Joseph says, you know, one of the key words in there that I saw is, Joseph says in, in verse 19, I am in God's place. What does he mean by he's in God's place? He's right where God wants him to be. And for all of us, isn't that where we really want to be? We want to be right where God wants us to be. We want to be right with God. We want him to, to, to put us where he wants us to be because it is then that we have friendship with him. It's then that he can use us and teach us. And finally, seven, um, and this one, is, this one is, is tough, is we will pray for their blessing, real blessing. That's pretty hard when somebody hasn't asked for your forgiveness or hasn't repented. And to really pray for them that God will bless them. Not, not a halfway or not that God will bless them by getting them, by causing bad things to happen to them, but really by blessing. And, you know, we see that in, in, in these verses. Uh, Joseph, Joseph blessed them. He he encouraged them, he blessed them, he, he cared for their families. He, with the position that God put him in, he used that 
in order to bless his brothers in spite of all that they had done to them, done to him, excuse me. And think about, think about, you know, the circumstances that come into our lives. Um, I mean, I'm sure, and I know that there are many that have had really, really difficult times, but when you think about being thrown in a pit and left for dead, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty desperate. I think we'd be pretty desperate and pretty upset, and then, and then we're sold. And there, there is some mystery. There's definitely some mystery to all this. You know, we don't hear a lot about, uh, you know, we don't hear Joseph saying anything to the Ishmaelites when they bought him. We don't know what he told them. But what we do know is he wasn't ready for that two-year period when he asked the cupbearer to intercede, right? And, the, and what happened? The cupbearer forgot, didn't he? You think that just happened by circumstance, by chance? I don't think so. God knew that he wanted him to be in exactly the place of humility so that he would forgive his brothers, he, he could forgive them, and he uses that example for us to teach us how we are to forgive. So where are you on the, where are you on the road to humility? And what's God doing in, in your life to teach you to be humble? We pray and ask God for humility. It may be a tough road. But isn't that what we really want in our lives? We want, we want more grace. We want God's grace. And God promises that he gives grace to the humble. So when we find ourselves humbled, whether it be through God's word or becoming newly aware of some pattern of sins in our life, you know, what might that mean to us to be humbled? Um, the reward for humility uh, in Proverbs 22.4 is the fear of the Lord, riches, and honor, and life. And those are the things that, that as believers, that we seek. And I, 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 before this, I really didn't think a lot about humility being fear of the Lord. Humility is fear of the Lord. Because in, we know that in Isaiah 66, 2, God shares who he is. He's the creator. He's, he's over everything. But what catches his attention? The humble and those with a contrite heart. That's what catches his attention. Total forgiveness is one of the best ways for you to know that you are humble. We talked about it in one of our studies. Are you quick to forgive? But can we really forgive totally? And we need to encourage one another and, and hold each other accountable in our, in, our, in our time and in our fellowship together. Um, that's, that, that's, that's the circumstance that God's put in our life. And you know, the last thing, I'd, I'd, be, remiss, I'd be remiss without uh, sharing this. And when we think about the example of humility, certainly Christ is our example of humility. But I want to I show you something, um, is how did Christ humble himself? Christ humbled himself by being obedient to the Father. The same way that we humble ourselves before God is being obedient to the Father. And in, in, the, in Philippians chapter 2 passages here, um, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to God. That's how he humbled himself, is being obedient to the Father. So... Let us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit that you would give us the grace and the mercy that we need to humble ourselves through being obedient to you. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to forgive. Day to day, Lord, there's so many things to forgive, and you also tell us that you don't forgive those who don't forgive others. We have many examples of that. We have parables of that. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would be reminded that you are God, that you hate pride, and that you give grace 
to the humble. Please help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.